Blog Talk Radio. You want to reply the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to reply the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Monday, March 20th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Karen Helf of Tennis View Magazine who spent 12 days on site at Indian Wells including the last 10 days of the tournament. Good evening, Karen. Hi, Pete. It's great to be back. Absolutely. And uh, wow, what a great experience you had at, at Indian Wells. Obviously, some hot temperatures and some hot tennis as well. And um, first off, we're going to start off doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the, the doubles finals, the doubles championships. And uh, you were on site and, and on hand for those. And if you could just uh, share with our listeners in your own words what you were able to pick up from watching the doubles finals. Sure. Uh, well, and in general for this tournament, it tends to be one where it draws kind of a deeper pool of doubles teams. I mean, you saw Murray out there, Novak was out there, Rafa was out there. They didn't end up winning, but, you know, they're out there playing in some unusual um, uh, uh, pairings, which are great to see. In terms of the winners, you know, we we have our stalwart, I think, of the women's doubles side, uh, Martina Hingis and her new partner, and I hope I pronounce this correctly, Yang Yan Chan, won the final. And along the way, you know, they took out some some pretty hefty opponents. They did go up against Mirza and Strikova, so you know, there's kind of a rematch there from uh, Cincinnati of last year. And then they went on to actually play, you know, an American favorite, of course, Bethany Maddox Sands and her partner Lucy Safarova. And uh, that was also quite a battle <clears throat> that played out in beautiful stadium to went to a, a, a 10, 10 8 final score in the, the third part of that match. Um, and then, you know, went on to win the final, playing again a pretty tight tie break in the first set, but then pretty dominant in the second over uh, Heretica and Sinekova. So. Once again, Martina's got another title under her belt, and it looks like uh, moving along nicely with her new partners. So just wanted to give them some kudos there. And then yeah, when we go over a, to the men's – go ahead. Ooh, just a quick question there, Karen. Uh, you know, it's been a little while since I've seen Martina Hingis play doubles, and we've talked about her quite a bit on the show. But your your observations being there firsthand, uh, she still has a, a very crisp game, and in your opinion, is it – sort of equal with with her with um, her partner is she carrying most of the weight if you will and and you know really quarterbacking the the match if you will in your opinion uh i'd say she probably is quarterbacking both both players certainly had you know a lot to offer to their partner and in terms of hingis herself i don't see any degradation in her game she you know <laughs> she's her usual aggressive self on target and uh you know not really lacking in any area on the court so um, i would expect to see both of them you know if it continues to be a, a great partnership for them to do well for the rest of the season and be interesting to see what they're able to produce again um in miami this week so well nice i appreciate that observation and uh sure on to the men's doubles now Okay. 
Um, so with men, you know, as I mentioned, there was an interesting draw. I do want to briefly go back to our last meeting. We were kind of scratching our heads on the Nadal-Tomic uh, conundrum, if you will. But really, it was a pretty logical alignment. And I thought about it after we spoke, and sure enough, uh, Rafa spoke to the fact that they were planning on playing in Brisbane. Rafa spent a month down in Australia this year, which is unusual for his schedule. So it was a great alignment for them to practice together, to play in that event, and then it just carried on uh, into March because with all of the other singles events, there's not a lot of time to practice and pick up with another partner. So, you know, they kept that going. Um, But the headliners for this this uh, particular event were Rajiv Ram and his partner as well, um, and I'm going to possibly say this wrong, but I'll say it, Ravin Klesan. And um, they also, you know, they had an interesting path along the way. They took out <clears throat> Kubat and Marcelo Mello in the final. Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> um, and then they also had to come up against uh, Gilles Mueller and Sam Query. So there was a U.S. versus U.S. rivalry going on uh, before they got into the final. So um, some very exciting matches. The crowds were, you know, decent, I would say. And, you know, that was really nice to see. There was definitely a lot of support for Rajiv in the uh, in the uh, fan support and, you know, the crowds that were there. <clears throat> and I just wanted to point that out because – one of the things that did come up in a presser this week, and I was actually pleased to hear it, was a uh, comment from Venus Williams. And she was actually asked, if you could change one thing about tennis, what would that be? And she actually said it would be doubles, that she really thought that doubles was missing the respect and kind of accolades and that it's such an exciting Uh, aspect of the sport and it doesn't get the attention that it deserves so you know i just kind of wanted to start out with that as a follow-up and uh you know good for venus for for making that statement as well i completely agree and this is the one tournament karen uh you know aside from you know the majors obviously we've got people playing doubles but indian wells you've got some very accomplished singles players who who venture out and and, and play doubles uh so this you know, Indian Wells themselves has said, you know, we've got the greatest doubles tournament in the world. And I would agree with that, you know, maybe the world tour finals uh, where everybody's going after something, uh, you know, a huge accomplishment at the end of the year. But again, you're not going to see Rafa Nadal playing doubles in the world tour finals. Uh, I don't think. And uh, so absolutely the, the men's and women's doubles pairings are just absolutely stacked. There's high anticipation, to see who is going to play with whom for the doubles, uh, as we, as you just mentioned, Rafa Nadal, Bernie Tomic. Thanks for that inside story, if you will, with respect to Rafa's time uh, planning and playing in Brisbane as well. So interesting. That does all of a sudden make things a little more sensible and bring things into context because we were both scratching ahead on that one. And, but uh, absolutely, Indian Wells, the doubles is is absolutely sensational. It's it's very very well supported by the crowds there, as you saw. And uh, nice to have Venus comment on that as well. And um, we're going to move over now to the main draw of the singles. And, you know, the, the quarter, the bottom quarter was absolutely loaded. Uh, you know, we had Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Nick Kyrgios uh, in, in that mix, if you will, a few other names as well. And, uh, you know, the, obviously one match unfortunately didn't happen, but one did. You had a chance to experience a Roger Federer-Rafael Nadal match. I 
was fortunate to see one in Cincinnati a few years ago. Nadal got the better of Federer that year, and Nadal ended up winning Cincinnati. This time, Federer just continues his amazing, no other word for it at this point, 2017, uh, takes out Nadal in 68 minutes. You were there and want to get your thoughts and observations on being able to be on hand, firsthand for Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. Yeah, it, you know, it was an amazing matchup as a billing. And, you know, I in terms of Roger's performance, it actually absolutely stood up to that test. Um, you know, I think a lot of what happened with Rafa was due credit to what Roger was able to bring to the court. You know, when he came out early, he was playing a very fast pace. He was going for those shots. That backhand was, was like a, a, just a cutting knife that came across, and he kept hitting you know, deep in the corners and with such a pace that I don't know also if Roger, uh, excuse me, if Rafa wasn't reading things well, but, um, you know, Roger's ability to, to produce those shots was just amazing and the crowd was ooing and aahing. I mean, there's there's no other way to say it. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the comment of amazing, you know, in fact, yesterday, uh, you know, Stan made a mention after their match, after the final, obviously, to the same effect that, you know, Roger is just, he's just amazing. Um, there was, of course, another comment <laughs> that Stan <laughs> made during that that presentation ceremony, but, you know, I think it was all made in jest and fun, and actually Roger spoke to that in press saying, I was actually just trying to cheer him up and kind of make him laugh a little bit because he was, you know, he was quite emotional. And at the same time, it's great to see that emotion. It's 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 wonderful to see how much these players want it, how much it means to them, and you know, um, at the end of the day, that that's why they go out there. So, um, turning back to Roger, <laughs> the thing that is interesting is, despite the amazing performance he's having, he continues to discuss his game and his the state of his game as he's in comeback phase. So to his perspective, he's not even there yet. <laughs> so, um, you know, let's uh, keep our eyes on that and more to be seen because, boy, if he doesn't believe that he's at his best right now, then then watch out uh, because there's no other way to say it. I mean, he, he really did look amazing. And, um, you know, I just couldn't get over the shot making that he had as, as well as, you know, his classic serving himself out of difficult spots, not that he – Came across too many, but, you know, when he needed it, he produced that, and he's always been able to do that. So there's there's nothing degrading on that side either. No, completely agree. And, you know, probably the couple things jump out at me. The, the Federer won that match in 68 minutes. I mean, it, usually if we see Nadal winning in 68 minutes, uh, there's a storm coming, and he's hustling, and he's winning that match in 68 minutes. It, it's odd to see a, a match, a Nadal match, and in an hour and eight minutes, especially with him on the losing side. The other stat that jumps out at me, Karen, four out of five break points for Federer. I mean, I, good mm -hmm. Lord, I remember Roland Garros where Fed is three out of 18 in break points. The, the break point conversion for Federer throughout his career, almost like a Pete Sampras as well, he also had difficulty winning the break points. They get, they're so wonderful players, but for some reason they're not able to convert break points. That doesn't seem to be an issue for Federer in 2017. Um, I, I mm -hmm. want to ask you uh, also, um, uh, you mentioned his shot making. It really looks 
like his backhand, I mean, the one, if you want to say Fed has a weakness or had, I guess we could say past tense. Yeah. Boy, that backhand is just absolutely amazing. And your thoughts on maybe uh, you were able to see that up close. What uh, is the technique or anything any different? Or was anybody saying anything impressive about, you know, being able to not read his backhand or it's it's just a powerful shot? What uh, what do you make of that or what, what do the players think about his backhand? Yeah, I mean, the impression on that is, is number one, the pace. I mean, the pace at, at, at which that thing was coming back was just unbelievable. Um, and, I, and I think that's the one thing that everyone was remarking on the most. Uh, you know, he's always been able to hit spots, but also almost every time that ball was practically just hitting, you know, the corner where the lines joined in the back or, you know, maybe a couple of inches inside the baseline. But he was, you know, right on target and, and putting those balls deep. Um, the other thing that I noticed that Roger did comment on with respect to Nadal, and you you probably saw it if you watched the match, is Rafa's ground strokes, especially later in the match, were landing in the service box, which is quite uncharacteristic. Roger did make a mention, and I kind of saw it, that Rafa's movement was off, and Roger alluded to that uh, when he was courtside for his on-court interview, but don't really know what that's about, you know, hopefully nothing cropping up there, but uh, at the end of the day, it was all about Roger, so, you know, he (laughs) deserves all of the accolades for that. Well, and, and one one other point before we move on from Federer and Nadal and talk about uh, some of the other players in, in the draw. But uh, you we shared you shared with me before we came on the air. You wrote a number of articles uh, uh, with your coverage you know, with your Nina Wells credential. One of which was about Federer and Nadal. And uh, can you elaborate on uh, what you decided to cover in that article? Um, you know, in terms of my type of article. I tend to write more features. I mean, it was definitely a summary of the match and in terms of, you know, the shot making that Roger displayed, that it was, you know, a very quick moving match, um, that that Rafa, regardless of any circumstances in particular, didn't seem to be able to find a solution to what Roger was producing. So, you know, the onus was on him to come out and make some adjustments at some point, And he definitely was not able to do that. And in press, he also talked about you know, needing to neutralize the first two balls, right, handling the serve well, um, and then, you know, returns coming back. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he said, I really didn't do any of that well. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, an easy match for Roger as it, you know, as it should have been given what he was able to produce. And he really gave Roger lots of credit in terms of, you know, just coming out with an outstanding performance. Uh, Well put. And, um, we're, we're going to stay in that quarter, Karen, uh, just because of how unbelievable it was. And Nick Kyrgios played Novak Djokovic twice in a very short period of time here in 2017, the only two times they've played. And Nick Kyrgios has not dropped a set to Novak Djokovic, takes him out, and then very unfortunate, was not able to take the court against Federer. Food poisoning, it was uh, described mm-hmm. as a couple points up. I want to get your thoughts on uh, being there for Kyrgios and Djokovic must have been absolutely electric. And then I guess we can uh, go down elevator shaft for the, uh, the disappointment, if you will, of the highly anticipated Kyrgios Federer match that didn't hit, take place. First, let's start with Nick Kyrgios once again, taking out Novak Djokovic. 
Yeah, you know, of course, um, you know, Nick came up against Novak, and, you know, I think um, the sting of the prior match was probably still there. Um, no question that Nick came out, you know, with the bigger server. He was more aggressive, and, you know, he walked away with the match in straight sets. Now, you know, obviously the final set was gone to a tie break, but, uh, you know, again, it was the situation where Nick was very dominant. He continued, um, or excuse me, he displayed that as well on his prior match. You know, he didn't have an easy run. He ran into Alexander Zverev before Novak, and that certainly could have been a, a, a bit of a mess for him. I mean, he's ranked slightly higher. You know, he was the 15th seed versus 18, but we all know that Zverev as well is one of those young players that's able to take out the top players and, uh, you know, not not have too much trouble. And Nick also spoke about Zverev saying, you know, he knows that he's he's one of the top guys and, you know, he's also glad to have him out there, to have, you know, the level of competition and having someone that's, that's pushing and, you know, he has to keep uh, an eye on his game and, and how that's progressing and he knows that they're going to be facing each other probably quite a lot and it may be the beginning of another great rivalry in tennis and let's hope so yeah i was able to sit uh courtside in the photo pit to for nick curios uh he held a match point but he lost to borna chorich in cincinnati last august karen and i i saw glimpses of of what you were able to see curios do against djokovic uh in that match against chorich you know a couple things jumped out at me novak djokovic 14 percent uh winning re- first serve returns against curios in this match and you know they mm-hmm. in alcapulco that that number was only 19 percent. so good lord i mean nick curios absolutely you know giving Novak Djokovic body blows that he can't handle. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's unfathomable. We all know what Djokovic can do as a returner, and he's very acrobatic and just not able to touch anything. Kyrgios served up first serve, and Nick Kyrgios bangs out a lot of aces, and his first serve percentage is outstanding as well. So uh, were you able to pick that up that, uh, you know, Novak was frustrated and not being able to get a read, or what was it something more than that? Um, you know, I didn't see a tremendous amount of frustration from Novak. I'm sure it was there, but, but yeah, I mean, reading Nick's serve, but also being able to handle the pace at which, you know, he's sending that across the net. He's such, you know, they're all tall guys, but, you know, Nick is, is up there. And additionally, you know, Nick was coming in, playing some short shots, um, you know, showing some nice work at the net and soft hands. And, uh, you know, he wasn't one-dimensional. It wasn't just about the serve. But although, of course, the serve and being so successful, with that gives him the ability to be more confident on other points and, you know, take other chances. That said, Nick looked effortless out there. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to compare his movement to Roger, but, you know, Roger's been described as effortless, and Nick didn't look like he was working all that hard to stay in control of the match, and, you know, he he did it quite well. So, yeah, I'm sure Novak was frustrated, but, you know, you didn't see rackets broken or any anything like that. So, um, you know, I think he's taking things in stride and, uh, you know, kind of focusing on himself and his own game. And even in that light, Roger said something similar that, you know, um, I don't really care about the ranking right now. 
going, going back. Um, I want to play. I want to enjoy it. I want to be healthy. And at the same time, I'm balancing with my family. I'm balancing the schedule. And he actually made a comment, I'm not going to go out there and do favors for people anymore just showing up. So, you know, he's about his family. If his ranking is 8 or 15 or 2 or 1, he doesn't really care as long as he knows yep. he can go out, play good tennis, surely win some more titles, no doubt about that, you know, and uh, balance things the way that he wants to, uh, you know. It just makes sense at this point in his career. I agree. And, uh, you know, you made a point there about Kyrgios making it look so effortless. I by far and away the greatest raw talent of tennis I've ever seen. And you mentioned Roger makes it look effortless. Roger Federer worked very hard to get to where he, he is. Kyrgios can roll out of bed and seemingly, you know, pull this stuff off. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost a combination, you know, a Fognini, the way he serves, he just throws the ball up and, you know, away it goes. And there's a 147 down the tee for an ace, even on the second serve, if you will. It's, it's amazing. Uh, his, his talent level, it really is. And uh, Karen, a couple more points about the ATP before we shift over to the WTA. World number one, Andy Murray loses to a qualifier, Vasek Pospisil, and this is a guy who lost to uh, Pospisil has has a couple losses to guys ranked 170, 180 already this year. Playing a, you know, he was in the final of the San Francisco Challenger and scheduled to play here in Tempe the week after. He didn't. Uh, uh, as a special exception, did not come to Tempe, Arizona. But this is a guy who was just playing challengers a, a month ago, uh, a little less than a month ago, and he takes out the world number one. And uh, any, uh, I, I, we had talked about Murray's tongue being on the ground, possibly by all the, you know, deep runs he made in the second half of last year. Uh, now Andy Murray uh, and Novak Djokovic, for that matter, not playing Miami this week. Any, um, any thoughts on Murray's inability to win a match? Well, you know, I think the announcement of not playing Miami says something, right? I mean, you're not going to walk away on a first, you know, first match loss in a Masters 1000 and say, oh, I'll just take the next one off. So something's going on there. You know, I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if it is some sort of injury. Um, But, you know, I, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, I don't know, that that Murray can't win. Um, that said, Pospisil came in. He gave him a different look. And this is the one thing we are starting to see on the tour is that, you know, it's not necessarily the players that have the best ground strokes or, you know, whatever it may be. You know, there's there's been more of a traditional game of, you know, longer rallies and things like that where Pospisil and Misha Zverev, who we also saw have success recently, are coming in with a kind of different-looking game, a game with a different kind of rhythm or pace. And I think in doing so, throwing off the well-honed, fine-tuned performer, you know, in the top spots, and maybe them just not being prepared to adjust and maybe so much muscle memory in what they do. And, you know, it's less about maybe thinking through the match and a lot of it is more almost like, you know, an, an automatic because they practice so hard and, and, you know, play so much in a certain style. So I would give it that. And then, you know, yeah, Pospisil's not played great, but 
think back a few years ago, and I think it was, in fact, at Indian Wells, he was kind of a, an up-and-coming sort of big deal. Um, he didn't produce, but then we've seen that kind of happen with Gregor and some other people. So, you know, he may be starting to come back on an upswing. And then the last thing that I did want to mention is the Indian Wells crowd or the BNP Paribas Open, there's a lot of Canadians because a lot of Canada loves to come down to the warm weather of the desert and get away from the winter. So there was also a lot of fan support for Pospisil. So a lot of factors playing in there. And, you know, I was in Andy's presser and he sat there kind of looking dazed. And he said that, yeah, there's no reason I should have lost this match. Like, I really have to think about this. Um, and you could tell he was taking it seriously, not necessarily taking it hard, I think, in terms of emotions, not to say he didn't care, but I think seriously just sitting there processing, like, what just happened here? Um, so, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with that. But I do think the Miami withdrawal is, is telling of something. So let's hope it's nothing serious. Sure, and uh, American Jack Sock reaches the quarter. Excuse me, the semifinal takes out Kay Nishikori in the quarter, where obviously Sock lost to Federer in the semifinal. Uh, competed well in the second set. Um, Jack Sock, nice result for him. And then Stan Varenka, you know, really came back from the dead, if you will, midway through uh, the tournament, as he does. And and as we've seen with Stan, you know, he keeps advancing in the tournaments. He gets better as each round goes along, and that's exactly what he did there. So any observations from either Sock and or Stan here? Uh, well, Sock played great. I don't know if you caught his match against Dimitrov, but that was actually one of my favorite matches. Um, first of all, it was played in Stadium 2, which is just a fabulous place to see a match. Uh, but additionally, it was a three-setter, and it um, absolutely appeared as though Gregor was going to walk away with it. Um, and somehow, you know, Jack mustered his, uh, you know, inner desire. He talked in press about, uh, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my own terms and I'm going to go down fighting and I'm going to know that, you know, I gave it my best. And I think he, he drew on that and boy, did he come back and, you know, won that, won that, uh, tiebreaker, you know, and, uh, I, I think most people were a little stunned, to be honest with you, and I, and I think one of them being Gregor, and, and I'm sure he walked away saying, you know, wow, <laughs> you know, I had that opportunity to put it away. I didn't do it, let him back in the match, and that's what happens. Um, and along that same note, Jack is now the number one American. So he uh, he kind of laughed because he saw it on Twitter. He didn't even know. Somebody asked him in press, and uh, <laughs> he said he, that's how he found out. He happened to just see a tweet come by with his name attached to it. So, uh, But very exciting for him, and, uh, you know, definitely some great tennis. Uh, uh, he, you know, he's also been one that has struggled with the heat. Now, this certainly wasn't the heat of Australia, but, you know, we have seen him struggle, especially at the U.S. Open when he had that um, episode where he had to you know, be taken off the court. So sure. I'm also hoping that maybe he's figured out something, you know, with his team in terms of maybe better managing the heat and, and uh, being able to stay in top form. Yeah, you said a couple of things here. Andy Murray and Grigor Dimitrov appearing in press like they were stunned and dazed that how the heck did I not win this match? Uh, 
That's a good thing, though, Karen. Uh, some very competitive, mm-hmm. compelling matches at Indian Wells. Uh, you know, not a blowout per se. It's like I was right there in with a chance. I, I probably should have won the match. I feel I should have won the match. But, you know, this is the fine line of uh, very, very, very tiny margins between even the top of the game and guys in the 40s, 50s, 60s, or, you know, earlier in the year, Istomin, you know, taking out Djokovic, Donskoy taking out Federer, uh, guys in the in the 100s, uh, knocking down the, the very tippy top of the game. And so at this point, Karen, uh, unless you have anything else from the ATP, we're going to shift over to the WTA and, unfortunately, uh, Serena Williams' withdrawal of uh, at Indian Wells. Want to get your thoughts on, um, you know, the how that was received in the press room? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't catch much of it in the press room because I think it happened on the couple of days that I was not there. <clears throat> um, but, you know, she's got knee issues, so can't fool around with that. We know she's working on extending her career. So, you know, if, if there's a problem and uh, – you know, she wants to move on and play the next slam, which is on clay in Paris, then why would you risk it, uh, you know, on a hard court surface if you don't need to? So I think that's all it boils down to at that point. On the other side, her sister, Venus, surely showed up very well motivated, very excited, um, talked very much about wanting to do well at home, could really feel the crowd support that they were actually, uh, you know, doing a lot to to push her on, and she had some great performances. Didn't you know quite make the cut at the end, but uh, you know we we saw some glimpses of classic Venus Williams as well, and definitely in her putting up a fight <clears throat> to come back when she was down. No, completely agree. And someone that I want to ask you now about. Uh... A lot of people have her tabbed to be number one as soon as this year. A lot of folks had her winning the Australian Open, which did not happen, crashing out to Lucic Baroni. But Carolina Pliskova, uh, want to get your thoughts on what you saw in her game. Obviously, she's got all the tools. Uh, incredible how she can pound out 19 aces in, in, a, in a match. That's sort of unheard of at the WTA level, except for a few players. But she can... She can get that done, and she's got a big game. Didn't get the job done enough here at Indian Wells, but your thoughts uh, on what you saw from Carolina Pliskova this week at Indian Wells? Uh, well, with Carolina, she said it herself. She said, you know, I'm not playing my best tennis all the time, but I'm mostly still finding a way to win. Um, so, you know, that being the hallmark of great champions that seem to come along, uh, you know, finding those ways to win. Didn't make it all the way through this time, but had a good run. She had also a very good run here the year prior. If you remember, um, she made it as well to the semis. She also did well in double. So, you know, despite not making it to the final and, uh, you know, the, the way both draws kind of moved around. There was lots of things that were unpredictable. But one thing that I noticed in her stats, not that it's a horrible percentage, but of any of her stats, the one that is at the lower end are her breakpoint defense and breakpoint conversion stats. So, you know, as much as you can play the shots, um, is that more of a nod to working on mental toughness, working on playing with pressure and playing with expectation that she has now that she really didn't have much of about a year ago? 
Um, so I think all of those things are coming into play, but I give her huge accolades because she has made statements of, I'm turning down photo shoots now, I'm turning down you know, offers for these kind of external activities, yes, that could make her more money right now probably, but she really wants to focus on her tennis. She's very serious about it, and she knows that if she divides her time up too much, she's not going to be able to give everything to her game that she wants to. So I thought no, that I was uh, – go ahead. No, I applaud her for, for coming to that realization and understanding there are more important priorities right now. She is a professional athlete, one of the best in the business at this point in time, and you can't do it all. You don't want to burn out. And um, sure, she might be walking away from some pretty lucrative opportunities, but uh, she's got other goals in mind, and that is on the tennis court. And so – I applaud her for, for coming to those conclusions after probably thinking about them for a little bit. You, you really can't do it all, and uh, it's refreshing to hear someone you know, wanting to focus so, so much on her tennis. Yeah, and the other thing she also seems to already get is schedule management. She has mm. started to talk about that, and you know, I think that's, that's a great thing. You know, if you can carve out your career and – you know, not play every event along the way and, you know, not be in that mindset of I've just got to play everything everywhere and see how many points I can get. Um, you know, that's quite a great strategy if you can avoid it. And then let's also think about the fact that, you know, she came all the way up, you know, to uh, playing Svetlana Kuznetsova. Now, if you're going to be paired up against anybody that's going to give you that, you know, that tough play to get past. Um, there's there's not too many people on tour that you would probably not want to see knowing it's probably going to be a three-set match, that your opponent is one that has that history of just hitting one more ball over the net than your opponent and mm-hmm. staying in there and hanging in there until, she, you know, she finally uh, – you know, has you on your knees. So um, having to come up against Svetlana, who I also spoke with a fair amount, I I kind of almost got a one-on-one post-presser with her. She's in a great place. She brought up what I'm going to call the A word that I heard from multiple people, and that's appreciation. I heard it from Venus, I've heard it from her, and I've heard it from Viznina. They're all talking about how much they appreciate the game. They appreciate the opportunity that they're having to play right now. It's just so enjoyable, and it it means a lot to them, but also, you know, they have a great perspective around it. So um, she had to go up against all of that, and and I was not shocked that Kuznetsova came out on the winning side of that matchup. Mm -hmm. No, that's interesting, the appreciation, uh, Karen. All three of those ladies that you mentioned are – are in their 30s, 30 and above. And so, yes, it means a little bit more to them, I think, at this point in time in their career. They've been through a heck of a lot. Kuznetsova, you know, 10 years between finals. I mean, what a remarkable run that she's had. And uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the final. Um, Vesnina, obviously, boy, she could have had her heart ripped out on that first set, uh, that let cord that won the set for Kuznetsova in that breaker. Yeah. But she came back uh, diligently got the job done. I want to ask you a couple things. Um, I noticed the crowd was a little light that day. Uh, Obviously, it's been hot all week in any wells. I've got comparable temperatures. I'm just a little less than four hours due east on I-10, so I I have 
you know, I've been having the same weather as, as Indian Wells, minus maybe two or three degrees. But was it the heat, or or possibly, you know, a little bit of a, a lack of interest in in uh, who was matching up on, on the WTA side, or was everybody just saying, hey, you know, we're just gonna we're just waiting for the Federer match, or or a little bit of everything? Uh, you know, I don't have the answer to that, and. Either way, I don't I don't think it really matters to either one of them. Um they went out there, they went after what you know, their objective was. Um it yeah, it was not a packed stadium, but you know, it was a good crowd. It was a crowd that was uh into into the event and into the match and um you know, the show that those two put on for over three hours <laughs> was quite right. something. And, in fact, one of the funniest stories of the match and of the event, I'm sorry, was I was in Vesnina's final presser, and they're photographing her with the trophy, and in runs the media director apologizing because the men's match was ending so quickly they actually had to grab the trophy away from her because they only had one and run it down to the court for Roger. So, you know, as soon as she gets her hands on it, they're pulling it away from her. So it was kind of funny, but she took it in stride. Um, but, you know, let's face it, the the women's match actually in terms of, uh, you know, level of competition, meaning that, you know, the players being head-to-head, um, you know, was a better matchup this time. Again, I'm not saying the men's match wasn't a great match. It was a great match. But you know what I'm saying in terms of just kind of a more one-sided or more even-sided match. And surely three hours, I mean, people were just kind of beside themselves um, on that match just going the distance, especially in the heat of the day like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, well done, ladies. Uh, A terrific final. And credit to both of them for for getting to the final and and – Elena Vesnina for winning it. Kuznetsova has been playing some outstanding tennis. I'm very happy for her. Let's not forget, maybe the most silent two-time major champion out there on tour right now. A lot of people forget about that. It's been a while, but she has those two under her belt. And so uh, a couple other points I want to bring up, Karen. Um, Obviously, something that was floating around the the tennis world this week, uh, Maria Sharapova, uh, her agent saying, you know, he's been contacted by every tournament, uh, you know, with offers of wild cards, if you will, then other tournaments, particularly those in England, saying, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. And uh, Maria Sharapova is su- due to uh, return pretty soon in, in Stuttgart. And obviously that name has been floating around uh, Indian Wells. Want to get your feedback on what you have heard and kind of what the vibe was about Sharapova returning a tour. Well, you know, I would say it's mixed. You know, there's definitely a sentiment of she's a great competitor and she's been a wonderful draw for the women's tennis. Um, Just like the men's side, you know, both tours have their marquee players and she has been one. So there are players looking forward to her being back and they want to compete against her. But I think the piece that is maybe raising concern or appearing a bit questionable is a why does she get a wild card <clears throat> into a match or excuse me into a tournament when her suspension is not even over and that is the case with Stuttgart you know they're not allowing her i believe they're not allowing her on the grounds until the day that her suspension expires but in fact the tournament starts in advance of that so that 
you know, seems a little dicey. And in fact, Caroline Wozniacki spoke to that very point. Um, you know, she just basically said, it seems like it's quite a twist of the rules that that, that is happening. And in fact, there's also some talk about, um, okay, there's only so many wild cards. And there have been players playing all year and fighting really hard to try to get to themselves into those positions. And then, of course, Maria gets one of them, so therefore that's one less wild card available for some of those other players that have been working really hard. Not that Maria hasn't been out training hard. I'm sure she has. Um, but, you know, you know, you get the comparison there. Um, you know, there there was a mixture of comments. Um, I think Venus really showing her wisdom of having been around the block a long time and having a good perspective. She said, you know, there's really no precedent for it. So, right. you know, I don't really have a particular thought about it, and the governing bodies have made their decisions. She has an opportunity to come back. She should be allowed to continue to do that. If people want to give her wild cards, that's up to the tournaments, and, you know, they have to weigh it against other wild cards. And the other thing that we maybe like to forget is that tennis, like any other business, is a business. So at the end right. of the day, the tournament directors do, you know, whether you agree with it or not, take a look at, you know, how they're going to, you know, move their event forward, how they're going to grow their event, how they are going to raise revenue, and, and ticket sales is a big component of that. So, you know, there's a star power to Maria that says she's a great choice. And then there's sort of the ethical question of if I'm looking to do this by the books and considering all the ethics of the situation, where do I fall? And, you know, everyone can have a different opinion on that. So um, there were a number of players, I will say, who took sort of the fifth and said, uh, Pliskova, one of them, I have opinions, but I'm not going to say. Kiki Maldanovich said, no comment. You know, so I think there are, are people well aware that, you know, I could jump into a snake pit, but why go there? Because whatever decisions are going to be made, really have kind of already been made. The ball has started. She is coming back, and, um, you know, that's how it's going to be. The only other person I would say that was with Wozniacki, her only other point was, you know, Andre Agassi came back after a suspension, but he came back fighting his way back, and that's the way a champion should do it. So, you know, I, I will put that out there. And, um, you know, she was pretty straightforward in that conversation. Well, it's well put, and, and yes, it, it is a business, uh, and Porsche is a big sponsor of of, of tennis, uh, including the Porsche Open in Stuttgart. And I, Karen, it, it's one of these things where, you know, for for a moment, tennis is probably going to have the spotlight on that day. Stuttgart, Germany, will be the center of the sporting world for for part of that day with Maria Sharapova coming back. Uh, people are aware of it. It's a it's a big story, huge tennis story, huge WTA story, huge international sports story, huge international story for that matter. So, yes, tennis will be uh, in the spotlight, to, to say the least, uh, on that day in which she returns, and people will be following the, uh, the pro her progress, if there is progress to be made in Stuttgart, Germany, for Maria Sharapova. And one other person I want to ask you about, uh, because this is a little bit of a head-scratcher to me, Karen Garbina Muguruza had a very nice run at Indian Wells. I swear I thought she was going to be on the shelf for an extended period of time, and yet uh, she played exceptionally well at Indian Wells. Um, did I miss? Did I get 
information on uh, the nature of her injury, or, or is she just uh, fighting her way back uh, quicker than, than expected? I think she's just coming back quicker than expected. Um, you know, I think she, she still has a little bit of a lingering, but, you know, I don't know the complete diagnosis of the um, the injury, but it was her Achilles, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But she seemed in in good spirits throughout the tournament. She was happy with her play. She spoke a little bit that, you know, she has let mood really affect her over time. Um, and that's something that, you know, she's working on. So maybe it's a combination of two things. And, you know, also if you're physically not there, um, that can affect your mood, right? Because even if you are going out on the court, you know, you're kind of thinking maybe I'm not going to be able to play my best or you're going out there with doubts. And, you know, that maybe doesn't produce the most positive results either. But uh, she looked good to me and, um, you know, again, seemed in very good spirits about her game and where she was going. So um, nothing lingering that was evident. Good. And uh, any other thing, uh, any other points about the WTA version of 2017 any Wells before we talk a little bit about Miami that just got underway? Um, just the two final winners. I mean, you got to have, I mean, what a great story, right? They're both late career you know, one having been a Grand Slam champion and having, you know, that that single success, but then breaking back into the top ten, now Svetlana is back at number seven. And, you know, she seems to kind of be inching her way up, like, one spot. So who knows? Could she be back in the top spot? You know, I, I wouldn't count her out. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so – and then Vesnina to have, you know, one of the biggest wins of her career – in a place that she visited when she was a teenager and said, you know, she, she looked at California and kind of fell in love with it and said, you know, well, gosh, I want to live here. So for her to kind of come back and, and realize the dream in the desert of California where she first, you know, kind of got that enamored view um, was interesting. And, and, you know, obviously she played a tremendous tournament with the people that she had to take out along the way. Um, and, you know, she had Kerber on her side, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Davos, who's no slouch, Maldenovic, right. who, you know, is also having her own very good season and also someone I got to speak with who just seems to be in a very positive place. Um, like uh, Kyrgios, she has no coach. And she says, you know what, I think I'm doing fine. Uh, so, you know, she she fought a pretty hard road, you know, to get there. She was certainly the underdog, as she will admit herself. And um, what a great story. So she's another one that now is, you know, in the 13th spot. So she has a chance at a top 10 finish this year. So that seems to be a recurring theme. You know, we had Venus uh, do that as well. And, and, uh, you know, this might be something we're going to continue to see more of. Oh, great call. And what a treat it was for you to be on hand, uh, Karen, in Wells the last 10 days of the tournament, 12 days overall going there for the first couple of days for Kids Day and, and, and some practices uh, before qualifying got underway. But uh, before we shift over to talk briefly about Miami, anything else that you'd like to uh, share about your time at Indian Wells? Uh, it was another great experience. And, uh, you know, if you've never been, it's a wonderful place for tennis. I concur, absolutely. And we go from one ninety-six draw 
1000 tournament uh, WTA Premier to another in Miami, Karen. And uh, I'm going to lead off with this because uh, 15-year-old junior Wimbledon champion Anastasia Potapova, or as she is known in Russia, Potapova, made her WTA debut, taking out a player in the top 100. Karen, this is someone who won three qualifying rounds in Surprise, Arizona at a 25K. I was at her very first uh, round qualifying match, and uh, she actually had to change. She and her opponent had to change the score on the on the ball. On, you know, when you change the ball, put the ball to mark your score, there was nobody in the chair. There was just a, you know, a, an ITF official wandering the grounds. There were about Ten matches going on concurrently, and here is um, you know Wimbledon junior champion from last summer um, changing the score, and here she is about a month later gets a wild card into the Miami qualifying draw, wins the match. Uh, I guess she was close to being up five love, uh, didn't get that done. Five two went to a tiebreaker, won the third set. Anastasia Potapova into the second and final round of qualifying. Uh, I was thrilled to be able to see her play at such a small venue and surprise with uh, first match, only uh, literally eight or nine of us. The second match, uh, she was playing an American who's had some success as well. There were about 20 of us there, but um, nice to see her. It'll be interesting to see how she progresses. But I want to ask you uh, also, Angie Kerber back at number one in the world, despite a nine and six record in 2000. 17. Uh, obviously, Serena Williams did not play. Indian Wells is not playing Miami. But um, your thoughts on how Kerber might be able to turn her 2017 around? Uh, well, I don't know that I have the answer to that either. You know, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of no. Oh, I am just being honest. You know, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on with her. Uh, you know, the one thing I did think about is she was one of the oldest number ones. You know, in the game. Um, you know, a lot of players hit that number one slot, you know, early to mid, maybe late 20s. So, you know, there may be some challenges and struggles there just with, you know, managing health, managing energy level, managing performance. She has such a game and she keeps referring to it. I run down everything. I run down everything. But I, you know, I don't know. Is that a really sustainable game strategy and does she need to look at some other tactics and not maybe rely on that so much, but that that's kind of been her hallmark. So, you know, how do you, how do you switch that up? Um, I did take a look at some of the top 10 stats for the WTA as of today for all of 2017 and in all of the top categories, so we're talking for serve percentage, service points one, return points, et cetera, her name only appears in the top ten for double faults. So I think you know it speaks to the fact that across the board right now, her game just isn't there for whatever reason. Um, right. I, I was in her presser, I think just one of them, and, you know, it, it, it was not a – fun place to be you know there was definitely an air of folks kind of you know not wanting to be unkind and not really push her to talk about maybe things that aren't going so well um, which I appreciate you know I mean I think a player comes in knowing (laughs) if something didn't go well Um, but at the same time you want to balance that with you know talking through some of the things that are significant Um, you know she 
she seemed to be down. It's understandably so. You know, I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if it's emotional. Some combination of the two. Maybe just the the uh, winning the slams and then being number one. Maybe it's just been overwhelming. A number of times she's talked about some of her favorite things to do or just to go be in a quiet place alone with a cup of coffee and reading a book. I don't know if that's insight into her personality, maybe wanting to be more low-key. And, you know, once you're number one, low-key kind of isn't really part of the deal. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, these are just thoughts that come into my head based on interactions and things that I've heard her say. Uh, but, you know... I, can she turn around? I'm sure she can. You know, will it happen this week? I don't know. I get the sense that it's going to take her a little, take her some time to um, figure out a strategy, maybe even kind of identifying, you know, what's really going on with her um, in her head and, and as well with her body and her game. And then, you know, putting together a plan because that's what it's all about, right? What are the goals you want to accomplish and how are you going to get there and then start start working towards that so no well well put and uh, yeah both number one in the world Kerber and Murray having some some troubles here it's almost a parallel last year with the hard yards they put in if you will to get to number one and now possibly paying Mm -hmm. the price but here we are Miami Karen both um, you know number one Kerber is in action number two Serena Williams not on the men's side number one and number two in the world are not in action in Miami and it's it's odd you look at the the men's draw Stan Varinka the number one seed Kane Shikori, number mm-hmm. two. This is a tournament that that contains both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, and they're not the number one or two seeds. Uh, we don't see Murray and Djokovic, and all of a sudden you're thinking, "Hey, this is this is a significant tournament. Where where the heck is everybody?" But wow, um, you know, credit to Stan. He is the number one seed, but it still looks a little odd. And um, wow, it, it, we're we're in the month of March. It almost reminds me a little bit. I believe, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago now when Petra Gavitova just decided not to play any wells in Miami at all. She just needed to pull ripcord and rest for a little while, and we're seeing possibly mm-hmm. some of this. Granted, we're, we're, we're hearing elbow injuries for both Djokovic and Murray, but uh, might might do uh, might do these guys some good. But I uh, want to get to looking at a third-round possibility, Karen, and that is Roger Federer. Juan Martin Del Potro. I mean, Delpo just can't get a break. He's matched up with Djokovic in a 1,000 this last time at Indy Wells in a, in a 500 as well. Um, boy, until he, he gets his seating up, uh, you know, these matchups are, are not only possible, they're probable. And um, mm-hmm. uh, disservice not only to, to Delpo, but the rest of the field. But, uh, you know, as fans, you know, we love to see these blockbuster matches early on, and it just seems to be happening more and more now. Well, you know, looking back at the Indian Wells draw just briefly, you know, and and everyone talking about that quarter and how did it happen? Well, how did it happen? The big four were not the big four. And I'm not saying their ability isn't there, but, you know, that's the rules of the draw. It goes by ranking. And so when you're not in those top spots, you're going to get those what you might consider odd pairings or maybe matchups that you don't think should happen. But those are the rules of the game, and that's the way it's done. So, you know, if your ranking doesn't warrant it, it it doesn't. And, you know, I think it's also great motivation um, to push to get yourself back up into those positions. And at the same time, if you think about this, would Juan Martin rather go up against, you know, a qualifier or, you know, somebody ranked a lot lower or keep getting tested against the best players? 
because that's going to give him truly the push and the opportunity to move his game to the next level. And we know he's capable of it. And, you know, um, uh, going back, Roger's name keeps coming up, but that's all right. You know, um, he talked about the fact, and I truly believe, the big four as they were, and I'll even throw in the big five talking Debbie Ferrer for a while. Those five guys were the pack, and they stayed on each other's backs in such a way that you could never let your guard down. If you, you know, so there was this constant pressure, but maybe it was a pressure that was a positive direction and, you know, really kept these guys on their toes. So I don't know that it's a bad thing. You know, it's a bad thing maybe for this event, but if Juan Martini is going to be successful and have the kind of career that he's capable of having and we've seen him have in the past, he's going to have to face these guys anyway. So why not get the practice and and keep being in those positions and maybe looking at it as a positive opportunity versus, gosh, why did I get the straw? Um, So I don't know. That's just my thought on that. No, good call. Uh, I, I agree. The, these matchups do happen. You say the big four is not the big four, although we're seeing uh, a couple guys, namely Federer and Nadal, working their way back uh, up, up there, yep. uh, climbing. And, uh, uh, you know, Federer obviously has zero points for two two majors on the calendar, and Rafa obviously, unfortunately, exited much earlier than expected at Roland Garros. So uh, points will be uh, coming both their ways. We'll have to take a look at what Federer decides to play, but uh, absolutely. And um, anything else from uh, Miami? Obviously, we're just just barely underway with Miami, uh, with uh, WTA, uh, with qualifying getting underway today. But anything else jump out at you on either draw or uh, what we might be able to expect? Well, uh, first of all, on the men's side, we've got Milos and Ferrer back. So, you know, as much as maybe we're missing Novak and we're missing Andy, you know, Milos has certainly been up there and has been able able to produce a great game. So this could be an opportunity with him. We haven't seen much of Ferrer. I know he's been out, and so hopefully he's back in great form if he's willing to step into Miami, and, you know, he he certainly can be a fighter. But I, I noticed, and it just jumped straight out at me, in Stan's quarter, smack in the middle, once again, is Zverev and Kyrgios. And I thought, wow, like this rivalry is going to heat up quickly if these guys keep meeting like this. So maybe Zverev will get his revenge on Nick this, you know, coming up um, shortly. But, you know, we'll see what happens with these two. And they're a great pairing. That was another very enjoyable match at Indian Wells. So folks at Miami, if you can get tickets for that one, make sure you uh, check it out. Uh, On the women's side... Looking, you know, Venus and Kerber are in the same draw. <clears throat> and then I also want to point out Meldenovic and Kuznetsov also in that same quarter. So that's, you know, that's some stiff competition right there. And then from up and coming, you know, Caroline Garcia had a successful week at Indian Wells. We've got Conta back as well. And, um, you know, her performance has been a little bit mixed, but she certainly had a great um, last year. So we'll see if she's she's back in you know top performance shape. Madison Keys, <clears throat> excuse me, who came back in Indian Wells as well after surgery, really good spirits, really enjoying the game. Back with Lindsay again, says Lindsay is the best coach for her because she gets her. They're very very much alike in the way that they think about things and probably even the way they feel about things, and that's a great partnership for her. Um, you know, she didn't go 
as far maybe as people thought she might at Indian Wells, but coming right back after her surgery and just uh, coming back with a very positive attitude, I think, is is important. <clears throat> and she knows that, you know, the game's going to come. Uh, and then just some of the other quarters, you know, I see for Pliskova, she's got Svitolina in there. She's also got Baroni. So, you know, that's a wild card there. And then uh, Radwanska's in that quarter as well, but of the players, unfortunately, it seems like Radwanska's slipping down in performance and sliding yes. down in the rankings a bit lately. Um, but, you know, again, don't count her out. And then our BNP Paribas Open champion is paired up with Garbine. And also I want to mention uh, Daria Gavrilova. We've, we've been seeing some good performances from both Darias along this year. Um, so... I think this could be just as unpredictable as the BNP Paribas Open, <laughs> but also exciting. So, you know, that, that's what makes it interesting. No, that's a good call, and, and I'll just echo uh, what you said about uh, Madison Keys back with Lindsay Davenport. I thought that was a, a wonderful partnership the first time around, and I was really surprised when, when it didn't continue. I, I, to me, it made all the sense in the world for, for several reasons, but uh, nice to see that they're back, and I, I think that's going to be a win-win uh, in, in, in some big, big ways for Madison Keys and, and for Lindsay, for that matter, but uh, absolutely. I mean, a, a, a coach, the right coach in your camp, in your box, as we've seen with Andy Murray and Yvonne Lendl, and as we're seeing now with Federer and Lubicic, uh, wow, uh, good things can happen with a fresh perspective. Maybe it will be good in the long run, the fact that Lindsay uh, and Madison were apart for a while after starting out. And I go back to uh, uh, the word, I, I think Madison Keys will dial into the word, appreciation, Karen, that you mentioned, uh, Kuznetsova, Vesnina, and Venus Williams mentioned. I think Madison will really appreciate the fact that Lindsay Davenport is in her camp, and I think we're going to see some good things as a result. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I had forgotten. I asked Madison a question related to that of, you know, being out, and now does she have another perspective on the game after being away and maybe a renewed uh, excitement about it and she got choked up I thought she was actually going to get teary so there's no doubt that Madison wants it she missed being away she now understands what the game means to her and you know that it's a privilege to be back and it's not something um, to take lightly, and she doesn't, and, and clearly there's a fire and a passion in her heart because she really did. She got physically then was kind of stumbling on her words and, and all. So, but, again, nice to see, you know, N nice to see, yeah. not to make a player cry, but to, to see that that passion is there and that they really want it and they love what they're doing. No, extremely uh, nice to see, nice to hear. I, I'm glad you had that opportunity to uh, to have that interaction with Madison. And Karen, before we wrap up, any last words, either Indian Wells, Miami, or points elsewhere? Uh, I just think everybody better dig in because it's going to be another great week or two of tennis. <laughs> so, uh, yep, completely agree. For me, going I'm going to go home and get some rest. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Very good. Well, great, Karen. I uh, appreciate you, all of your insights from uh, your 12 days at Indian Wells. And so on behalf of Karen Health, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. <laughs>